Good morning. I'm just going to, right here, once again, throw out a little plug for Family Bible Week. Um, so we stuck this in your bulletin, right? So here's the, here's the challenge to give this to a family, okay? So neighbor, family, whatever, kids you know. So that's why it's in there. It's all folded up, has little directions on the back. So you know some kids or some families around, make sure you hand this to them, okay? That's the challenge. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, open with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time to go uh, together. Uh, we, I just pray that as we go through this, that uh, what I say is right and correct and, and true to your word. Um, pray that you just work through me and uh, that it wouldn't be what I have to say, but what you have to say. I thank you for each one who has come out here. Um, just uh, work on our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Sermon title is Nothing But the Blood. That's not very original. Um, you could probably look at uh, look up sermon titles for a thousand preachers for a thousand years, and at one time they're going to name a sermon this. Uh, it's really easy. Um, so I s probably stole this sermon title, I'm sure, from somebody. Uh, at least I stole it from a hymn writer. So that's the title, Nothing But the Blood. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at Hebrews and uh, the blood of Christ. So if you think about it, uh, and as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 9, uh, blood's kind of an important thing to us. We need our blood. Uh, it is life. When it's working properly, the heart is pumping it, and it pumps through us, and it's transporting the food and the oxygen to our cells to keep us alive. And as it's also doing that, it's picking up waste materials that our body creates and takes it out of our bodies. Um, and so we need it. Uh, we die when we lose blood, and we die when the blood start, quits pumping. Uh, so it's kind of important to us. God, he holds blood in importance too. Uh, to him, it's an important thing. Um, it's a theme that if you look in your Bible, and as I was thinking about this, I, I was kind of looking at themes that ran through the Bible. Uh, it's a theme that runs from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, when you look in your Bible, you're going to find blood everywhere. It's kind of gross, right? It, um, but it's there. Uh, clean to Revelation. In Revelation 5, 9 through 10, uh, a song was sung to the Lamb, a lamb with a big L, Jesus, who was slain. And it says, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open it. R worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So <clears throat> it's important to God. In Genesis 4.10, Cain kills Abel. God says to Cain, Abel's blood cries out to me from the ground. Uh, to Noah, also in Genesis, God said, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. And then he gave Noah a command. Do not eat meat with the lifeblood still in it. It's out of Genesis 9. And so there's plenty more as we go through the Bible. Uh, you could find it all over. There's plenty more to read about blood in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Two places in the Old Testament that blood is very prominent is the Passover. In Exodus 11 and 12, the Israelites, they're in captivity in Egypt. And as they went through the plagues, come to this final plague, 
and it deals with blood. They were to take a lamb without blemish. They were to kill that lamb, and they were to put the blood on the doorposts. And when the plague came and God saw the blood, they'd be saved from the plague, uh, from the death of the firstborn. That's the Passover. So salvation comes through this blood. The blood covered and saved them. When God saw that blood, he, the death angel or uh, the plague passed by them and their child stayed alive. So keep that in mind, right? Kind of blood and salvation. It's, 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 it's a theme. Uh, Leviticus 1 through 10. We're going to read all of it. No, we're not. Sin and guilt offerings. Right? In Leviticus, sin and guilt offerings. If you want to, that can be homework. Sin and guilt offerings, the blood was needed. You need that blood. But there is an important one in Leviticus 16, and this happens whether it's in the tabernacle, in the desert, or the temple. In Leviticus 16, you see the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. You ever hear of Yom Kippur? It's the Day of, the, of Atonement. One day a year, the high priest, he makes a sacrifice for him and the people, uh, for sin, and he enters the Holy of Holies behind the curtain in the tabernacle or the temple where the ark was and where God manifested himself. And you only went in once a year, and you better have the sacrificial blood with you. So why? Why is that? Um, in Leviticus 17.11, it tells us why. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So atonement is covering or canceling, and so these sins that were committed are covered or canceled by the blood. Um, as we jump into the New Testament, Romans 6, and 23, we learn that for the wages of sin is death. So something had to die to pay a sin debt for a covering of that sin so we would have access. So what I've earned, well, we'll get to that. So a little, uh, just some thoughts here for you. Sin, for the wages of sin is death. Sin equals death. And death equals the shedding of blood. When we shed blood, eventually we'll die. And so that's what that animal sacrifice was picturing. But, kind of a paradox here, the life, life also equals the shedding of blood. Uh, boy, that's a weird thing to think of. But somebody, something has to pay for our sins. And paying for those sins, then, we can be alive. And so, the life is in the blood. And, and that's the picture, that's the image that that whole tabernacle temple was supposed to picture. So you get the idea. The Old Testament is filled with this image, uh, the tabernacle in the desert, the temples. It's a constant flow of this sacrifice and blood. Uh, picture that in your mind a little bit. Have you ever actually thought about the temple and what went on there? Uh, you got all of Israel coming to one place at certain points in time and bringing animals that were to be killed and sacrificed. That's an all-day job, and that's a lot of blood. That's a lot of gore. Um, just if you think about that, the smell, um, the noise, because I'm sure those animals aren't going willingly into that to be sacrificed, you know. So we're in Hebrews, right? The Hebrews knew this. Um, they had seen it 
they were part of it. It was part of their life. And it would be a sight that they would have seen as Hebrew people, as Jewish people. And that would make you think, why? Why does this all happen? Well, it happens because sin needs paid for. In Romans terms, uh, a check needs cashed, right? Sin equals death equals the shedding of blood. Something has to pay. A check needs cashed. And so it should have been a constant reminder to the Hebrew Jewish people in Hebrews here of that. They'd think about that. But these folks in Hebrews are now Christians. They are Christian. They were Jewish people who grew up in that Old Testament with that temple and seeing the sites. And now they're Christians. Um, They may have grown up in an Old Testament time, but now they're in Christ. And it's a New Testament founded in something better, not animal sacrifices or priestly sacrifice where the priest is doing it. Um, It's by Jesus. And so what does that all that have to do with you or me? Um, Well, if we're Christians, it has everything to do with us. Because the idea that blood cancels sin never goes away. And so, what does all this blood do? Uh, What does Christ's blood do in particular? Uh, Let's look in Hebrews 9, verses 6 through 22, and then we're going to look at chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. So in Hebrews 9, uh, verse 6, it says, When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. So in uh, Hebrews chapter 9, Verse 6 there. Verse 7. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people, for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by, by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. So it's talking about that whole Old Testament temple there. Verse 11, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonial unclean sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is a mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died, a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll on all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. 
In the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We're going to jump down then to verse 10. We're going to come back to uh, 23 to 28 next week. So you get me again next week, sorry. Um, We're going to come back there next week. But in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, The law is only a shadow of good things that are coming, not realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice which is repeatedly and repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they have not stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and no longer felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are annual reminder of sin because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. So, as we go through this, there's some things about the blood that we need to know. Um, The title is Nothing But the Blood. Uh, So what does it do? Well, if it's Christ's blood, it does a lot for us. Verses 11 and 12. Point number one, nothing but the blood of Jesus redeems us. In verse 11, 12, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood and goats, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having attained eternal redemption. So if you think about that, um, what do I have What do I have to offer God? I don't have much. Um, We're dirtied by our sin. Uh, I can't get to heaven. I I can't work my way there. In fact, what I deserve on my own is I deserve hell. I deserve eternal separation from God. That's what I deserve. And that becomes a problem for us. I can't do it on my own. And it's a problem that has plagued man since Adam fell. I can't buy my way into heaven. So, will my, be, my blood be enough to get me to heaven? Uh, well, we already said that I, I, I don't deserve it. I, I can't d- get there. Well, back in the Old Testament, you know, they, they sacrificed a bull. So, maybe we should do that. Maybe next week, Matt could bring us a bull, right? And we'll bring it up here and we'll sacrifice it. Somebody's going to have to get the mess out of the carpet. Um, and not just any, any beef, right? We want the best, okay? We want the best you got, Matt. That's what we're going to... Okay, huh? Yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> you know, maybe we should do that. But, you know, it would at least make us think, right? It would at least make us think. If somebody brought a live animal in here and killed it, uh, we would be thinking. Um, so we don't want to do that. That was the idea of the Old Testament sacrifice. Uh, it was vivid. It was, it was bloody. It was nasty. It was God-ordained. God told him to do it. There was nothing wrong with it. But we wouldn't do it today. Um, we don't have to. Because uh, we would fail at it. We wouldn't do it right. And we have something better. The Israelites, back when they were doing it, they never really did it right. Um, they fell. They failed because it was administered by people. That's the difference. It was administered by people. We're going to see as we go ahead here that this 
better New Testament and this better blood is administered by God himself. That's the difference. So what about this blood, about Jesus' blood? So I can't do it, a bull can't do it. What about Jesus, the God-man, right? He was born in human flesh. He was tempted. He did not sin. He was God. Now we're talking about blood that's worth something. We're talking about his blood. We have something good and perfect and better. His blood can do things. So what did Jesus' blood do? It bought us eternal redemption. That's the point number one. Eternal redemption for me and you on a cross, a sacrifice. Um, what does that mean? Well, eternal redemption means I'm forever ransomed. I'm forever bought back. Not just bought back, forever bought back. Not just ransomed once, forever ransomed. Um, so what was holding us? Our sin was holding us hostage. Uh, we had death hanging over our heads. And Jesus redeemed us to pay that ransom. My sin debt, God looked at us as fallen creatures, and he said, I'm going to pay for that. I'm going to pay the sin debt that you owe, right? The wages of sin is death, right? I got problems. I, I got an eternity of lostness. And, Jesus, and God said, I'm going to pay for that. And so it took perfection. It took somebody sinless to gain access to a tabernacle not part of this creation. And so by Jesus' blood, and that tabernacle that's not part of this creation, I tend to think that's heaven. In order to gain access to heaven, Jesus, for us, he purchased it with, our, with his blood. And so point number one, uh, we have eternal redemption through the blood of Christ. Forever ransomed. It's been bought and he paid it. Number two is nothing but the blood sanctifies us. So if you think of sanctification, sanctifying, it's talking about being purified, being made holy. Um, verses 13 and 14. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonial unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so we may serve the living God? So the Old Testament sacrifice, the blood and the ashes, um, cleansed the outside. It was a symbol. It was a, a picture. Uh, it was of the priest and the temple. All that stuff got cleansed by blood and ashes. What we're talking about is a New Testament sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, and it cleanses the whole person. It cleanses us outside. It cleanses us inside. It was Jesus, not a bull or a goat. Did you ever think of why should I be allowed into God's presence? Or how can I even be allowed into God's presence? Right? Who is God? He's perfect. He, he's God. He's clean. He's holy. If I step into God's presence... As I am right now, as a, if I was a non-believer and I'd step into God's presence, I couldn't. I am not clean. He's perfect, holy, clean, the creator of everything. I have no right to even be in his presence. But just like these Hebrew Christians who knew the old and now are living in the new, it's because of the blood of Christ. That's what... That's what gets us there. 
so we are made clean, we're purified, we're made holy, we're sanctified, not through our efforts, but by his blood. So that, now, there's, now there's access. The Hebrews don't need a priest anymore. If you're, if you're a Christian, you don't, you don't need that priest anymore to make that sacrifice. They have Christ, and that's what cleanses and makes us holy. Uh, if you notice that cleansing, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? You see that cleansing there through the blood? Uh, it cleanses our conscience. Uh, it... it um, our perception changes, how we look at things. We're aware of things morally now, uh, a total change in life and attitude. And what's that purpose for the cleansing? To serve the living God. So when he cleanses us and cleans us up, it's not so we can just sit around here and say, oh, look at me, I'm clean. He has a job for us. He's going to give us work. We're to serve the living God because of the blood of Christ. And just another note here, did you notice the Trinity? Uh, in those verses, you got the blood of Christ, you got the eternal spirit, and you got God. Um, you see that again, kind of in Hebrews 10, 29, uh, you'll see that same thing, the work of, you'll see God and the spirit. Um, so if you think about this, every God work is Trinity work, right? We're talking about the blood of Jesus, but it wasn't like God the Father and God the Spirit were standing off to the side. They were there. So every God work is Trinity work, and every Trinity work is God work. You can't pull those things apart. It's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working all this out. Um, if you got any questions on the Trinity, ask Pastor Matt when he comes back. <laughs> Number three, eternal inheritance, verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Old Testament saints got it. They got an eternal, eternal inheritance. Those who had faith in God and the promise of a Savior looking forward to that cross, right, because Christ hasn't come yet, those Old Testament saints, we find them in Hebrews chapter 11, right? They're looking for Christ. Well, guess what? They got an eternal inheritance. Guess what the New Testament saints get? Looking back, as we're looking back at that cross and back at that blood, these Hebrew Christians 2,000 years ago, right? They get the same thing as we do, and they get the same thing as the Old Testament saints do. We get an eternal inheritance through the blood of Christ. It's a forever inheritance, so this isn't like a rich fourth uncle, you know, dying, leaving us millions of dollars. It's not that. It's a living Savior giving us eternal life and a place in his kingdom. It's God inviting us in. It says, for this reason, that is, Jesus' blood sacrifice and death, now we have this unimaginable, eternal inheritance. We're related to a king. He bought us, Right? He paid for us. He essentially owns us. He adopts us in. We find that in other, in other uh, scriptures. He uh, takes us as children. And guess what? Now we have an eternal inheritance because we're related to him. That blood is paid for it. Verse 16 and 17 here. 
Number four, the blood of Christ puts into effect a New Testament. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. So the blood of Christ puts into effect a New Testament, a new will, right? We know what a will is. Um, And it's not like the will of God here. It is, but it's like a will like... If you wanted to get a will and last will and testament, right, you go to the lawyer. That's what it's talking about here, that kind of will. So how does that work? If your last will and testament gets enacted, what happened to you? You died, right? That's how it gets enacted. Well, somebody has to die. So what happened here? Jesus died. His blood was given. Back in the Old Testament times, the blood of bulls and goats enacted that Old Testament, that Old Covenant. That's why we don't have to sacrifice those animals anymore, and Matt's okay. He doesn't need to bring his cow trailer next week. That sacrifice that was made in the Old Testament books enacted the Old Testament. Death had to have happened. Blood had to be paid. But now we have a New Testament, right? We live in a New Testament under a new will. Um, It's still paid by blood, and it's still enacted by death, but it's not a bull, a goat, a pigeon. It's not our blood. It's Jesus' blood. So do we deserve being in the will that Jesus died for? No. I, I don't deserve to be in that will. You don't deserve to be in that will. That's why we call it grace. Um when we're accepted, when God accepts us, when we look at that blood and believe in Jesus Christ, he shows us grace. And through Jesus, it's enacted to us. It's given to us. So, number four, there is a New Testament. It's a new plan. Number five, nothing but the blood purchases forgiveness. Verses 18 through 22. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. There it is. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll on all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So nothing but the blood purchases forgiveness. And if you go back to Leviticus uh, chapter 17, uh, verses 8 through 13, 8 through 15, it talks about that. Um, Something had to die for forgiveness. And so this harkens back to something, right? We're talking about Hebrew Christians here. It's, it's going back to something they know. It's something they understand. They know about that temple. Blood covers sin. Blood gets us forgiveness. So the ideas of redemption, sanctification, forgiveness, they all tie together through that blood. We're getting all these things. So without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Blood is required. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, it kind of sums this up. In him we have redemption through his blood. This is Ephesians 1, uh, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And so there's that idea of redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we've been paid for, we've been made holy, we've been sanctified, uh, we're forgiven. Number five, blood purchases forgiveness. Next week, we're going to come back to verses 23 through 28. So we're going to jump down. That'll be next week if you want to read ahead. Uh, chapter 9, verses 23 through 28. We're going to jump down to verses 10, or chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. The law is only a shadow of good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, they would have not, they would have, they not, ooh. let me try that one more time. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But the, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came to the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, that's Jesus, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Number six, nothing but the blood of Christ is sufficient. Uh, for us, it's the only thing. It's the only thing that could have done this for us. The Old Testament law, the Old Testament sacrifice, it was a shadow. It was a picture of Jesus. Uh, it was... Looking forward, the goats and the bull's blood, it, it didn't cut it. Nothing we can do can cut it to get this uh, inheritance, to get this redemption, to get this sanctification. Um, there's no what amount of work. There's no righteous living. There's no amount of knowledge. There's no amount of schooling. There's no amount of church going. There's no amount of hymn singing that can do what the blood of Christ does. The Hebrews knew every year they had a day of atonement. They had a Passover meal. It was all a shadow of what was to come in that New Testament with Jesus Christ. It wasn't wrong. It was what God had commanded them to do. They were to observe it. They were to do it in every point. But all of that points to one, part, one person in time, Jesus Christ and his blood, all that sacrificial offering, all that Old Testament, that idea of atonement and the covering for sin points at one point and one person. It points at Jesus Christ. So it was an understanding. It was meant to be an understanding that the cost of sin was blood and death. The blood of bulls and goats wasn't sufficient. It wasn't possible for those sacrifices to actually take away the sin. Well, what does do it? Jesus' blood, and it's sufficient to do it. And no, not only that, it's the only thing that can do it. Verse 10, 5 through 7 again. Therefore, when Christ came into this world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. It wouldn't do it. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in a scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. So what does do it? It's the blood of Christ. Jesus says, here I am. And he's referring to a psalm. 
You don't, you don't take the Old Testament and throw it away now. Jesus, they're re- referencing a psalm uh, that Jesus had quoted, and he says it, it's about him. It's about Jesus. And so when we think of these things, these things can only be accomplished through the God, through God in, the, in Jesus Christ um, coming to this earth, living in flesh, living a perfect, sinless life, and paying for it on the cross, that blood. But here's the cool thing about all this, right? He didn't just come and bleed and die. Uh, We skip down through chapter 9 a little bit. If you go back up to verse 9, 24, for Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Now to appear for us in God's presence. Yeah, he came, and he bled, and he died, but that right there tells me he's not dead. He's alive, right? So he purchased with the blood, and now he's alive, and he's with the Father in heaven. He conquered death. He entered heaven and now appears for us in God's presence. And so as you think about all those things, that's what the blood does paid for, we're ransomed, we're redeemed, we're sanctified. It, it's a New Testament. It, was, it's, uh, it is sufficient. It's perfect. It works for us. 